Well, good morning, Door Creek. Welcome to our Sprecher Road campus. If you're a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. We're really glad that you joined us. When I was a kid, my dad taught me a really important biblical principle, and all it took was a couple of quarters. This principle, as I reflect on it, has just protected me from a lot of harm spiritually and freed me to experience greater joy. There's probably no other principle that has put me in close proximity with the truth and the greatness of God expressed in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine beyond our wildest dreams, according to his power that is at work within us, the Holy Spirit, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Another thing about this principle, over the years, I've noticed that people who have just kind of neglected this principle have increased financial struggles and frustration, and often they just kind of stagnate and they stall in their own spiritual journey and growth. There's a principle that is, this principle is actually repeated throughout scripture, but it's most clearly articulated in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, where it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And so the four quarters. One for each of us kids, Monique and Madeline and myself and Miriam was there on the kitchen table right on the edge. My dad had just written out the check and he put it in the giving envelope and then he pulled out, my dad's from Switzerland, so he pulled out this funny little change purse and he flipped it open and I can just see him picking out four quarters and just putting them there on the edge of the kitchen table. And uh, that was to go into the offering. And on most days, it got in the offering. Sometimes I spent it at the pharmacy for a candy bar, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> but what was Dad doing? He was training us about the importance of trusting God, of honoring Him with our wealth. And uh, it doesn't mean that my parents never experienced any financial struggles in their life, even though it was their practice, to uh, give a tenth of their earnings back to God. When my mom and dad immigrated from Switzerland in 1952, they came to Toronto and they didn't have anything. My dad had a job, but that was about it. I remember my mom saying, yeah, I, I remember one time I just started sewing a bunch of aprons and I went door to door to sell aprons just to make a little extra money. My dad was moonlighting at uh, another dental lab. He was a dental technician on the weekends. And, but what my dad would say is, you can't outgive God. And as me and my three sisters have grown, we've, we've realized that's true. And you'll never regret following this principle. You'll never regret honoring God with your wealth. Sometimes the enemy gets us to think that this is what God wants from us. Actually, this teaching rightly understood is this is what God wants for us. So here's where we're going. What we're gonna do is we're gonna actually trace this principle throughout scriptures, old and new. Then we're gonna go back and say, so why is this so an such an important thing from God? Why does he teach on this? Like he doesn't need our money, right? He's made everything. 
He's got the cattle on a thousand hills, the psalmist says. So why is this important to God? Why does he think it's important for us? And then third, what does it look like for us to honor God with our wealth since most of us aren't filling barns, right, and filling up vats of new wine? So what does that look like translated in our day-to-day? So first, um, let's look at the principle that starts actually before the giving of the law. A lot of times we think about this first and best, which actually is tied into the tithe principle as that's part of the law. Well, actually, it starts before the law. So in the story of uh, Abel and his brother Cain, we read this, Genesis 4. In the course of time, Cain brought some, underline some, of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. There's this first and best concept. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, not on Cain's. In chapter 14, we meet up with Abraham before he's called Abraham. He's called Abram, and he meets up with King Melchizedek. He has just gone up to the north all the way to Damascus, right? And he has rescued Lot, his nephew, and brought back all the plunder that these four kings had, had captured. And he meets up with this king, and we read this in Genesis 14, 18 and following. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, that would be like Jerusalem, very likely, brought out bread and wine. So a lot of people think this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. So just think about even that concept of Melchizedek bringing bread and wine. Thinking of the Last Supper, right? So then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. What was Abraham's response to this? Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything, of all that he recovered. He gave it back to this priest, Melchizedek. For sure, you'll find it in law, Exodus 22, verse 29, do not hold back offering from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. Again, in Exodus 23, verse 19, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. The first fruits teaching is actually connected to the tithe, which means a tenth. So we see this here in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 31, verse 5. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey. And all that the fields produced, they brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. So when the scriptures say, honor the Lord with the first fruits, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, right? So this is... This was a tithe, a tenth of the crops or the flocks or the firstborn son. We read again in Leviticus 27, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. That is, it's set apart for God. It belongs to God. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. And so when you dig into this tithe concept, you realize the tenth represents the whole. So the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This is acknowledging, God, 
that it all's yours, that I'm just your money manager, so to speak. I'm managing your commodities. I'm managing your children. And as I give you this tenth, the first tenth, and the best tenth of this beginning of the harvest, I'm just telling you, it represents all I have belongs to you, including me. The tenth represents the whole. And in obeying this principle and this command to honor God, to give the first and the best, what they were doing, God's people are doing, and when we do this, what we're doing is we're building our trust. Because they gave the first of the harvest when the whole of the harvest hadn't been gathered. What if like there's a hailstorm next week and we lose it all? We're trusting us, we're building trust, and we're expressing our love. Love and obedience is always tied together. Jesus will say this in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So actually, when you get to the Old Testament, you find out that there's three ties that happened. And if you add it all up, the 10% actually equals 23. And if you carried out the decimals, it's like 0.333 and there's a four in there somewhere. All right, so the first tithe every year for the Levites. So the Levites are members of the tribe of Levi. These were the people that the priests came from and the people who took care of the tabernacle, this portable temple, if you will. A tenth went to the Levites. Why? Because the Levites didn't get land. God says, I'm your inheritance. The other people got the inheritance of land. You live in cities, but you don't have these crops that you're growing in fields that you own. And so the people are going to bring a tithe to support the work of the temple and the tabernacle to the Levites. Here's what's cool. The Levites would take a tithe of the tithe. So a tenth of the tenth or 1% of that tithe would actually go to the priests who are also from the tribe of Levi, but they were specifically responsible for offering the sacrifices, okay? Then there's a second tithe. That's for the feasts and the festivals, Deuteronomy 16. And there are several of those each year. Then the third one happened every third year. And this was a tithe for the poor, for the widows and the orphans and the people who were refugees in their land, including the Levites. And that tithe stayed locally so that they could administer that and meet the needs of the poor in their own area, 23.3%. And that didn't include the free will offerings that were on top of that. So the tithe, what did it do? Well, it freed up the Levites, right, to set up the worship of God, the instruction of God, and help the people worship God. The tithe also helped meet the needs of the poor, and it moved God's purposes in this world forward. When you get to the prophets, the prophets are pointing out, because remember, the prophets are like these prosecuting attorneys that are telling people, man, you guys aren't, you're not following God. You gotta get back to following God. And one of the things that they pointed out is you guys are not honoring God with your wealth. So you'll see these up on the, uh, up on the screen, but let me read from Malachi. There's a classic passage that does just this. Malachi chapter three, starting in verse seven. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them, not obeyed them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? God says, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Only time in the whole Bible God says this to his people. Test me in this. Prove me wrong, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So Malachi is talking to the people. He says, you guys are guilty of robbing God. How are we robbing God? Well, you're not honoring him with your wealth. How are they not honoring him? Well, number one, they weren't bringing the first and the best. They were bringing the leftovers. And so in any flock, you'd have some of these sheep and some of these goats, you know, they, they would be ma- lame or they, they would be diseased or damaged. And they're like, well, I'm gonna give that to God. I'm gonna keep the good stuff for myself. And so not only were they worshiping idols and cheating on God, they were cheating on each other. So they weren't bringing the tithe into the Levites. So the work of God's house wasn't being supported. They weren't actually paying a fair wage to the laborer. So they were defrauding and cheating out their brothers and sisters. And they weren't bringing in the, the, the tithe for the poor. And so the poor were neglected. The, mar- the marginalized weren't taken care of. And so God says, in doing this, you guys have put yourself under the curse. Your souls are famished. Your crops are suffering. And so I want you to return to me with your whole heart. What does that look like? Bring the whole tithe. Get rid of your idols. Get rid of bringing me the leftovers and bring the whole tithe. I'll know you've given me your whole heart when you bring in the whole tithe. And test me in this and see if I don't just open up the floodgates of heaven, and pour such blessing upon you. And that language reminds us, right, of verse 10 of Proverbs 3, right, where it says, and your barns will be filled with, excuse me, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So, honor the Lord with your wealth is a command. That translates today. Here's the tricky thing. When you get to that second part, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Then your vats will brim over with new wine. That is proverbial. That's a proverb. That's a pithy saying that makes it easy to remember this principle, but it's a proverb, which means it's generally true to most people in most situations. Not a promise. That's always true, in all times, with all people, no matter what. And the tricky thing when we're reading the Proverbs is not turn them into a promise where we now name it and claim it and go, okay, God, here's my tithe. Woo-hoo, I can't wait to open up my bank account tomorrow because it's just going to be bing, bing, bing. It's like winning the lottery. No, don't do that. And And the other danger is do not say, well, This doesn't mean any material blessing. This is just strictly spiritual blessing. So actually, when you read the scriptures, there's a close connection between righteous living and people being blessed, not just spiritually, but materially. 
having said that. We can never draw this syllogism that says, wow, if they're wealthy, they must be godly, and if they're godly, they must be wealthy. It doesn't work like that. This is not a get quick rich scheme. This is not some kind of sanctified manipulation of God where now that I've given, you have to do it, God, because it says so in your word. So there's godly people in our city, in our church, in our country, around the world, throughout the centuries who love God, who've honored them, God, with their wealth, but whose barns aren't full, whose crops are devastated. They don't have that because it's a proverb, not a promise. I think of my friend Matthew. Some of you remember when we partnered with the Evangelical Free Church of Monrovia, Pastor Matthew Conker, when he came here, he spoke. I remember taking Matthew to get some new clothes. Man, he was so skinny. He's, he's about as tall as I am. You know, he needs about a 34-inch inseam, but his waist is 30 inches. Go try and find that pair of pants. <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, the reason Matthew's so slender is because they don't have a lot. You know, his kids get one meal a day. And when I went and met Karen, his wife, and the kids, yeah, they all looked like they had one meal a day, everybody in their church. I remember when I preached there, it was awesome. For the offering, they didn't like pass the plates, like this is get up on your feet, we're gonna have a parade for Jesus and give back to our generous God. And so the band's playing, everybody gets up and they're bringing their offering and there's a little basket right here and it has tithe written on it. And then there's another one and it said tithe of the tithe. I've never seen that. And then there was another one and it said offerings. And everybody would go and I'd see Matthew doing that whenever I was there. Matthew gave. He was generous. I remember Craig and I bought him like a 50-kilo bag of rice. We were so proud that we were giving Matthew and his family so much food. We were thinking, man, this is going to, I mean, if they only eat one meal a day, this is going to last like for a year. And so I asked him, Matthew, how long is this going to last? Well, a couple months. I said, a couple months? You said you only, he said, well, people in the church always are coming to the house. And I, I need to give to my people. He's this generous man. He doesn't have a lot. So that, that's a, an important, did you hear what I just said? A proverb is not a promise. Tell your neighbor that. A proverb, no, I mean it. Proverb's not a promise. You, you're gonna get completely messed up if we treat the Proverbs like promises. General principle here. So, as we finish the prophets, now we're moving into the New Testament, and I can just hear somebody say, yeah, but you're not gonna show me this tithe thing, this first fruits principle in the New Testament, because it ain't there. Jesus never said anything about it, so we're free. We're not under the law, we're under grace, and so there's nothing there, right? Well, you're right that there's not a lot there. And maybe it's because Jesus' New Testament writers assume it. Actually, Jesus does speak to it, and he affirms it in Matthew 23. Verse 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. 
In fact, when Jesus is teaching on the law, remember what he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, Matthew chapter 5, I came to fulfill it. What he often does with the law is he drives it deeper into the heart, right? So all of a sudden, the commandment says, thou shalt not murder, is now about hate. Ah. Oh. We hate our brother, we've committed murder, Jesus says. All of a sudden, the law about you shall not commit adultery is about lust. Ah, oh, I'm an adulterer. We got a lustful thought. It's always driving it deeper. So the, the New Testament does drive it deeper to the heart attitudes. Is there willingness to our giving? Is there cheerfulness around our giving, right? Are we excelling in the grace of giving like the Macedonians? Tim Keller points out that unlike the people of God in the Old Testament, we've received more of God's revelation, right? More truth, more grace. We're more debtors to grace. We live on this side of the cross. They didn't, they didn't know the cross yet. We live on this side of the cross. So we, we, we have more, right? Not less than them. And Jesus didn't give the tithe, Keller writes. He didn't give a tithe of his life, of his blood. He gave it all, right? And so Keller says, in a lot of Christians over the years have said this, tithing is a minimum standard for a Christian believer. A minimum standard. So why, why is this important? Why does this matter? And first I would just say, because there's such a danger here. What God wants from us is that we be protected from loving money and trusting money and pitting our hopes in money in such a way that we'd only be disappointed because only God could supply those needs. So we read this in 1 Timothy 6. Those who want to get rich, so you don't have to be rich, right, to want to get rich. So any, any of us could be in that camp. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. God doesn't want us to fall into these traps that plunge people into ruin, in destruction. When we're plunged into destruction, there's no time to tread water. The weight of this takes us right to the bottom of the ocean, right? For the love of money is a root, not the root, of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. They've shipwrecked their faith. He doesn't want us to do that and pierce themselves with many griefs. Why is this important? Because God wants us to receive all his best as we build our trust and confidence in him, as we express our love and experience his blessing, as we have an opportunity to invest in his work and make a difference in this world that matters for eternity because there's all kinds of monies that we have, all kinds of assets that we have, and all those earthly assets will never be transferred. We transfer all kinds of things between accounts, right? but we'll never be able to transfer the wealth that we have here to heaven. But when we invest into heaven today, that awaits us. So we read again in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, for heaven, new heaven on earth, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
God wants to protect us. God wants us to join in to his work of seeing more people become devoted followers of him and to have a rich treasure in heaven that is ours because we lived for heaven, not just for now. He wants us to, to have the generosity that's going out to God then to go out to the people that he's placed in our lives. And so the Bible's really clear about we gotta be generous to our family members. And when they're in a bad spot, we, we help them out. That's what family does. And we're family, the church. And we help each other out. That's what our benevolence monies are. I think about in the 14 years I've been here as pastor, there's probably been over $1,300,000 given. And all of that money has gone to people in our church and in our community that are in a tough spot. We're called to do that. People in Jerusalem were selling their houses and their lands, giving it to the apostles so that there wasn't anybody in the church that had an unmet need. We're, we need to be generous, right? And not just generous to our family and God's family, but to the poor. And the Bible is replete with commands and instruction of how we are to lend to the poor. We're to give to the poor, and as we do that, the scriptures tell us we're given to God. So before we talk about how we live this principle out and a couple of three steps to do this, I wanna just say, okay, so let's just kinda, we're, we're, we're gonna do a little diagnostic work right now. There's five key questions to help us know how we're doing in this area. You ready? The first is this. Is there any chance we're bartering with God when it comes to our money? Here's what I mean. It's easy to go, God, you know time. It's more valuable than money, and I certainly got more time than money. So I'm giving you a lot of time. I don't have much money, so I'm not giving you money, but I'm giving you my time. That's a barter thing. That's not giving our first fruit. That's not the principle of honoring God with your wealth, the first fruits. There's a second question. Is my giving characterized by motivation out of guilt? I'm doing it because I have to do this. All right, here it is, God. Or is it like, I get to do this. I love to do this. I wish I could do more. I'm growing in this area. Is it about guilt? Third, do I have a bunch of reasons why I can't, why I don't give, like, like, I don't have a lot. Like, Lord, I live on a fixed income. I used to do that, or I'm going to do that. Or, Lord, I'm under a pile of debt. You know the school loans I've got. And you know the credit card debt we've got. And I'm sure you want us to get out of debt first, right? You want me to do that. Well, actually, the scriptures are clear. God wants us to trust him first. That's the first move. I mean, asking God if there's ever a time where he would understand that we can't give right now is like asking God, do you understand that I just can't trust you right now? That I just, actually, I can't love you right now. There's another question, number four. Is God getting my first and best? Or what's left over? See, the interesting thing is the first and best principle is you gave the first of the crop, of, of the sheep, right? The firstborn son. You didn't wait for the rest to come in. Is God getting my leftovers? And then finally, when I give a gift, do I think the rest is mine to do with what I want? So diagnostic questions. How are we doing? So again, this isn't what God wants from us, it's what he wants for us. 
This isn't about Door Creek Church right now. This is about your walk with Christ, your love for Christ, growing to reflect his generous heart more and more in your life. And this is one way, not the only way. We'll talk about the lifestyle of generosity next week. But this is huge because the scriptures keep saying if we don't give God our money, we're fooling ourselves and thinking that we've given him our heart. So what do we do? Well, we start with the heart. That's step one. You want to be a generous giver? You want to grow in generosity? You want to honor God with your wealth? Then the first thing is connect your heart to the grace of God. Remember, God's grace is this gift that is received by faith. It's all in Christ, his good works, not our good works. Having received God's grace, that grace now strikes our heart like the reflex hammer, right? And our knee, you know, we just jerked it. And the, and the reflex is generosity. It's growing back to God and to others. We start with the heart. I love the prayer that David has in Psalm 51. Create me a clean heart. God, clean up my heart. Oh God, renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you even in this area. God, work on my heart. He does that. He gives us new hearts. Some of us need a brand new heart. We give our life to Christ, surrendering it all. Step two is, There's this transfer of ownership. There's this mindset change. I'm not thinking about this stuff as mine. I'm constantly transferring titles. You ever transfer a title, right? You sell a car and you transfer, right? You turn on the bag, you write your name, they write their name, and now you've transferred the ownership to the person who's bought your car. So we got our names on all kinds of things, right? You got your name on the lease of the apartment. You got your name on the loan for your school debt, right? You got your name on your bank account for your credit cards. You got a name on your house, right? You got a name on your kids. And all through life, what we're doing is going, oh, I don't want to get duped here because my name's all, all over all kinds of stuff. No, this is yours. I remember going to Grandpa George's house. Oh, Grandpa George was a good friend. And he had this great house. It was like an estate. And he had lots of beautiful things there. And he had a wood shop that was like the best wood shop I've ever seen. And he helped me make this beautiful bench for our daughter for her wedding. And I had the boys, Peter and Luke, with. And we'd go to Grandpa George and his house. And we'd hang out. Just about every time I was at Grandpa George's, he'd say something like this to me. Mark, all this, this is God's house. Now, George was a very successful businessman, but he was clear. He had the mindset that he was God's money manager. This stuff wasn't his own. It was God's house, all from his good hand. So there's the grace move at the heart level. There's the mindset change where I'm thinking like a manager, a steward who has been entrusted with all this stuff, my time, my talents, my treasure, and I'm to be faithful, right? And then there's the trust move. What does the trust move look like? We start giving. We start giving. So the interesting thing is right before Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, we read this classic passage for many people, some in this room. This is our, like our life verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, submit, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. 
At the heart of this is trusting in a God who is trustworthy. Think about it. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done. First and best giving, who's Jesus? His firstborn. What did Jesus give us? He didn't give us a tenth. He gave everything for us. And so, here we go. We're going to start. What does that mean? We've got to plan it. We've got to schedule it. We've got to put it in the budget. We've got to put it in the budget like at the top. Not like, well, if there's any left over, you're getting it, God. No, I'm trusting you right now. Because I could really use this 10% or whatever you're setting aside. I could really use this. Lord, you know I could use this. But I'm, I'm trusting you, right? And we're scheduling it. And a lot of us are doing that, right? We, we, we've, we've got a payment plan through our bank account, or maybe we've gone online, we're taking advantage of here, and it's just scheduling. Here's what I always knew when we, Lori and I didn't do this. We'd bring our offering envelopes at the end of the year. I'd go and look back, and I'd go, oh, man, we didn't hit our goal because we were on vacation. We didn't bring, so I love, we can schedule it, and it's gonna happen. So we're trusting by giving, right? Now, the the church in Corinth did this very thing. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So plan it, schedule it, move out of just having good intentions, have it become reality, and then take advantage of the resources. So you guys, right now, the uh, team has been working. So there's a resource page. You go doorcreekchurch.org forward slash resources. There's these videos that Mike Collins. So Mike has been teaching Financial Peace University. And he's got these great short videos. This week's video is on budgeting. And so there's a budget sheet. It's super accessible. It's a 10-minute video. Sit down and watch that. Next week, the video is going to be on borrowing and getting out of debt. The next week will be on saving and investing, super accessible. Take advantage of the resources. So you can give online, right? You can give in the boxes. You can give through your bank account. Some people give appreciated stocks. There's all kinds of resources here, including a class, Financial Peace University, including, you guys, there's people that are really skilled in this area. They've got nothing to sell but they'd love to sit down and help you as an individual, as a family, get a handle on your finances so that you can honor God with your wealth. There's also this ladder of generosity that I think helps make it clear where we're at and what our next step of obedience looks like. So if we're not in the game and giving, I haven't even started, that's an obvious, right? We gotta get up on the first rung, first time. But don't stay there long. Because you could be first time and then never give again. You're not, you're not in this, right? You want to get into this intentional level. What's going on here? Well, I'm setting aside. It's in the budget. It's either a dollar amount or a percentage or both, obviously, right? And it's, it's in the plan. Then we move up to a tithe. What's a tithe? Do you remember? Good. You guys are listening. That's good. Tithe is a tenth, right? So tithe is the goal. It's not. When we go, it's not. Then, we still th- then we're still thinking like, oh, this is what God wants from me. He doesn't want this from us. He wants it for us. He wants us to be extravagant, extravagant givers because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive in all the areas 
that God has entrusted with us. Time, our talents, our treasure, our testimony, the gospel, hospitality, all those things growing, growing. And so a lot of people, there's this incremental, like, wow, we did 10%. I can't believe it. But like, we had more than enough. And I've heard those stories more than once. Like, I took the tithe challenge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you, take the tithe challenge. I have said this so many times. I said, look, if it doesn't work out, like you do this for the next six weeks, and you go, what a bust, my fair. Like, I just cleared out my bank account. We'll give it all back to you. It's never happened yet. I'm gonna give you the same offer. Take God up on his word. Test me in this and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven. So I've been blown away how God has blessed Lori and I in this area. I can still remember Lori and I walking back to the Christmas tree lot three times, wondering if we could afford the $10 tree. $10 was a bunch of money for us back then when Lori was putting me through seminary because our food budget was 15 bucks a week. We didn't have a lot. By the way, we weren't born in the 1800s. And you know what? Those four quarters, that just ingrained it. When I got a paper route, I tithed. When I was mowing lawns, I tithed. When I worked for Dominic's, I tithed. When Lori and I got married, we just started doing it. And like I said, we didn't have a lot. We got five kids, and I remember praying about college. We didn't have a college fund. I actually thought some rich benefactor back at our old church, we lived in Wheaton, Illinois, there's a really nice college across the street, was gonna, just one day, I, got, I just thought this was gonna happen. He's gonna come up to me and say, Mark, if your kids ever wanna go to Wheaton College, don't worry about it, we got it covered. That never happened, never happened. <laughs> but in God's good providence, when we sold our house in Wheaton, there was enough money to build that log cabin up in Door County before I came here. Didn't plan on building a log cabin. But we built a log cabin. Didn't even know you could rent a cabin. And that little cabin put five kids through college, no debt. I had nothing to do with that. That's, that's God. That's God. Guys, you, you're missing out if you're not, if you're not in this. This isn't about Door Creek. This isn't what God wants from you. This is what he wants for you. And it doesn't mean that Lori and I haven't looked at each other at times and gone, wow, where's the money? We've been there. But I look back now, 38 years into marriage, and I go, immeasurably more than I could have ever dreamt of or my wildest imagination that's my story. It's not a what. It's not a promise. It's generally true. It's a proverb. That's what God has done for us. And I want that so much. I know you love Christ. And I know you want to honor him. And this is one of those hard places. So I want to encourage you, step out. And it's scary. And there's no guarantees except for this. God always has us. And he will never abandon us. And so let's together be people who honor God with our wealth, receiving the blessing and sharing with all those that God has put in our lives. Let's pray. So Lord, we just acknowledge 
that this is hard for us and we confess that we don't honor you as we ought with our wealth, that at many times if we think about it, we're actually numb to your grace and to the cross and it has become like a trinket. Forgive us. Forgive our change and regression of mindset where we start holding on to things tightly and we really think it's all ours. And Lord, help us to seek you first, your kingdom, righteousness, and to believe that all the stuff that we can worry about will be taken care of. Lord, thanks for reminding us that you take care of the sparrow. Thanks for telling us the story about the manna in the wilderness and how there is always more. The little boy's lunch that fed 5,000 and there was more. Help us to trust you, to love you, and to find the joy of living generously. Free us from the lies that it's ours, that we don't have enough, that you aren't gonna be there for us. Help us to honor you in this grace of giving. In Christ's name we pray. God's people said, amen.